Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous several programs, I spoke about the law stirring up sin. I spent a lot of time talking about the law, talking about how the law will stir up sin in a person's life. It stirs up sin in a person's life because of the natural rebellion of humanity. It stirs up sin because it gives us more things to think about not doing, and we end up thinking about them and being tempted by them and end up doing them as a result. It stirs up sin through religious pride when we believe that we have found a way to live in obedience to those commandments. And it also stirs up sin because it takes us further and further away from the love and acceptance of God because of our failure to live in obedience to the law's demands. So there are several ways that the law will stir up sin in a person's life. And when we think about the law in that context, it's very easy for us to look at the law and say there must be something wrong with the law. Because after all of that, after the complete discovery the discovery that we have sin in our lives, and after the discovery that the law stirs up more sin in our lives, people still have a tendency to find someone else to blame for their sin. Just as Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the snake. The way that people tend to deal with sin when they are confronted with their sin is they try to find an excuse for it. And the easiest excuse is to just simply find someone else to blame for that. And when it is discovered that the law stirs up more sin in our lives, it's easy for us to blame the law and say that there's something wrong with the law, that maybe we need to get a different law or live without any law at all. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is the presence and the existence of the law entirely. But this is definitely not what I believe. I believe that the law is perfect, that the law is holy, that the law has a very important place in our lives, in the lives of the people who are here in this world. I do believe that once you are saved, the law has had its work in you, its purpose has been accomplished, and that there is a new life that we are now to pursue, that we are now to live. However, for those who are still in the world, for those who are lost, or for those who are saved but don't quite understand the salvation that they have entered into, The law needs to be there. We need the law. The law has a very important purpose. It will condemn a person. It will beat an individual in a spiritual sense until they finally acknowledge that they have no hope outside of God's mercy and his forgiveness. So I believe in the law. I believe that the law is perfect. It is holy. There is nothing wrong with the law at all. The problem is with us, and people do not want to confess and admit that there's something wrong with them. They really want to believe that there's something wrong with somebody else or something else. It's somebody else's fault. It's the fault of something else. It's not theirs. People do not want to assume personal responsibility for themselves. So it's very easy 
to look at the law in that way and say that it's the law's fault, that there's something wrong with the law. In response to this very normal response, in response to this, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, he said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Now, before I get into verse 9 and this description that he gives concerning being alive and being dead, I would like to show you that in verses 7 and 8, Paul says that there is nothing wrong with the law. Nothing wrong with it at all. The problem is with us. The problem is that we have issues. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with you, with me, with everyone who lives, everyone who exists in this world. Everyone has got a problem. And that problem is that we do not know the Lord. And we are empty inside. And we have needs that only God can fulfill. And if we will not turn to him to fulfill those needs, then we have no alternative but to turn to sin in the world. There is no alternative. That's the real issue. The real issue is that people need to turn to the Lord. To do that, we have to turn away from the law. We have to do that because, as I explained earlier, the law will continually take you away from the love and acceptance of God because it will continually remind you that you have failed, that you are unacceptable, that you are rejected, that you are not loved, that he cannot accept you, that he has to turn his back on you. It is a continual reminder of that. You will continually be confronted by that until you recognize that that is why he provided for forgiveness, so that the law will be fulfilled and it will then have no place in our lives at all. Now, when speaking to a religious Jew, and this Jew can either be born a Jew or can be a convert, it's my sincere belief that when Paul was writing this, he was writing to people in Rome, many of which were Jews, probably not all of them, but I believe that many of them were Jews, either naturally born Jewish or they were converts to Judaism. They were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. And of course, I do believe that there's evidence to suggest that he was writing to people who never identified themselves with Judaism. But for those who are identified with Judaism, for those who know Judaism, who knew Pharisaical Judaism and the teachings that the rabbis taught during the time of the Lord Jesus, what he says here in verses 9, 10, 11, what these verses say here mean a lot to an individual who knows Pharisaical Judaism. If you don't know Pharisaical Judaism, well, then you've got some issues here because I don't think you're really going to be able to understand what he's talking about. When he talks about being alive and dead, there really are only two options. The first option is that he's talking about physical death. Now, I certainly do not see any evidence that he's talking about physical death. If I begin in verse 9, it says, I was once alive apart from the law. 
But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Well, if that was true, then how was he resurrected in a physical sense? So I believe he's talking about a spiritual death. That's the other option. He's talking about a spiritual death. Now, if he is talking about a spiritual death and not a physical death, and I believe that that is definitely the case, if that's the case, then how can he say that he was alive spiritually before and then he was dead spiritually? How can he say that? That's a very important question to ask, especially in the context of the gospel of everything that he has said up to this point in the letter that he wrote. How can he suggest that he was once spiritually alive and then became spiritually dead if the gospel, the good news, is that you can become spiritually alive and never die spiritually? And beyond that, how can he suggest that he was alive spiritually before the law and then he embraced the law And then he died spiritually when apparently he's talking about his life before he came to know Christ. Is he suggesting that an individual could have been resurrected by the living God before Jesus? Or is he suggesting that an individual was perhaps born into this world spiritually alive and then when they were confronted with the law, they died spiritually? These are the questions that need to be asked. It's very easy to come to these questions when reading this. Again, if you don't understand Pharisaical Judaism and the context of life and death, which I will address in just a moment. But if you start in verse 9 again, it says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Which could suggest that perhaps he was born spiritually alive, and then when he embraced the law, then he died spiritually I don't think that's the case, but I want you to see that this is a possible interpretation that someone might extract from this verse. Continuing into verse 10, it says, And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. It was to result in life? Where does it say in the law that if you obey the law, you will become alive? Where does it say that? For him to suggest that the commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death, it never suggested, no one ever suggested, Moses never suggested that the commandment would result in life. God never said that, not personally or through any of the prophets. Where does he get this idea from? Where does this come from? I'll explain to you where it comes from in just a moment. In verse 11, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, And through it killed me. So then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. By effecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment. Sin would become utterly sinful. Now, what I want you to recognize is his conclusion, and that is that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. That he says again that the commandments were given to stir up more sin in his life. He uses coveting as an example in verses 7 and 8. And then he begins to talk about this belief 
this perception, this opinion, that the law was supposedly going to give him life, but it turned out that it gave him more death instead. Now, as I asked before, whoever said, whoever claimed that the law would give any life at all? No one. This is completely non-existent in the scriptures. There is no way that I can point to the scriptures and show you. You see, here it says that if you will observe the commandments, then you will have life within you. Then you will become alive. Then the problem that resulted from the fall of Adam would finally be resolved. Adam sinned and died, but don't worry. God gave the law through Moses so that if you will observe the law, then the living God will restore life to you through your observance of the law. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. Nowhere. It is completely non-existent. But that apparently is what he says here in the context of the law and says that this is what he believed. The reason why he believed this was because that is what the Pharisees taught. The Pharisees acknowledged, they acknowledged the sin of Adam and the death of Adam. This was known. This was understood. They knew that that was what the problem was between man and God. They had no confusion concerning this at all. The problem, however, was that they did not believe that the Messiah would resolve that problem. They didn't believe that. They believed that the law was given by God to resolve that problem. That's what they believed. Now, why would I say that that's what they believe? Where would I get that from? Well, it turns out that there was a prayer that was said every time someone would study the scriptures, every time someone would read the scriptures. After they finished reading the scriptures, this is what they would say. Baruch Ataronai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Nata Betochenu, Baruch Ataronai, Noten HaToraha. Now in English, what this means is, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who in giving us a Torah of truth, hast planted everlasting life within us. Blessed art thou, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Again, they said, giving us a Torah of truth, hast planted everlasting life within us. They believed that God gave the Torah, he gave the law, he gave that, the commandments, so that through our observance, through our study, of the commandments, of the Torah, of the law. Through that, he would put within us the life that was missing, the life that was absent because of the sin of Adam. That is what they believed. And this is a theology that has survived to this day in many rabbinical circles. I want you to understand that they believed that they had a solution to the spiritual death of humanity. They believed that the law was the solution to the spiritual death of humanity. And Paul was taught this if he was a Pharisee, which he was. He was a Pharisee, and so he was taught 
that his observance of the law, that his study of the law and observance of it would result in life. But what he says right here is that he did not experience that. He said that he found that it brought about more death because the law stirred up sin. Now, what is this going to mean to a religious Jew? This is going to mean either one of two things. Either they are going to believe what Paul says, or they are going to reject what Paul says. That's it. If they believe what Paul says, then they are going to have to confess that they still have sin in their hearts. They're going to have to confess that. That even though they may be convinced that they have gotten their flesh under control, in their hearts they are still violating the commandments. They are going to have to confess that. They are going to have to believe that, admit that, and search for the forgiveness of God as a result. But if they are not willing to believe Paul, well, don't worry. All they have to do is say, well, Paul obviously has some issues. Paul didn't get it right. He thinks that the law stirred up more sin. I think that there's something wrong with Paul, not the law. Well, Paul is not saying that there's something wrong with the law. He's saying that there is something wrong with him. He's saying that they would be absolutely correct that there was something wrong with Paul. But the condition that Paul was in is the same condition that they would have been in. And if they say that there's just something wrong with Paul and not themselves, then they are suggesting, they are saying that they don't have sin, that they don't have the same problem that Paul has, that the law doesn't stir up sin in their hearts at all. So that's the issue, is that Paul is expressing the fact that he found that the law stirred up sin, but people are going to have to admit that themselves if they are going to concede that they have no solution, no solution for the spiritual death of humanity anymore. Now, please understand that this prayer was said after every reading of the Torah, every time you read the scriptures, for a person to live their lives devoted to reading the scriptures, the study of the scriptures, they would be saying this every time, and for them to make the transition to believe something different is very hard. I will tell you personally, this is very hard. It is very hard to be humbled to the point of recognizing that the investment that you put in to your life existence was a total waste, an absolute waste, and in many ways was worse than a waste. So please try to understand the implications of this, that the religious Jew during this time would have to confess, they would have to admit that they don't have a solution to the spiritual death of humanity like they thought they did. And that is going to be very troubling for them, not only because of themselves, but also because of their family, their friends, their entire social existence is based on this. But if a person would embrace this truth, if they would recognize that they don't have a solution for the spiritual death of humanity, then they can turn, if they will recognize that, then they could turn to the Lord Jesus as their Messiah because that is what he was offering. He was offering a solution to this problem. They believed that they already had a solution and so that solution meant nothing to them before. But if they will see 
that they are not as impressive as they think they are, if they will see that, then they will be able to embrace the message of Jesus, the message of the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to restore the life that had been lost in Adam, the one who will resurrect you from among the dead. So reading Romans chapter 7 in that context, starting in verse 9, I want you to see that he's speaking from Pharisaical Judaism, from the point of view of Pharisaical Judaism. He was taught that he was alive before the law because, of course, he was born Jewish. And he was also taught that life would be given to him because of his study and observance of the law. So in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Now, they would admit, yes, they would admit that it's true, that if sin becomes alive in you, then you would die and you would have to turn back to the law. But what he's saying here is that it was the law that stirred up the sin. And so if he turns back to the law again, it's not going to help him. In verse 10, And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. He said that the commandment was supposedly going to result in life, but as far as he's concerned, the proof is that it results in death. It does not result in life. And he uses the word proved in order to express the reality that he is fully convinced concerning this. He is fully convinced that it will result in death, it will not result in life, he is fully convinced that what he was told before was a lie, and he believes that this is now the truth. And he's saying this because he wants you to believe that this is the truth. In verse 11, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. What was the deception? The deception was, of course, that you could be righteous by your obedience that you could be holy because you repent of your sin and obey God. That was the deception. Where did this deception get started from? It got started with the devil when he said, all you needed to know is good and evil and you can be like God. It's the same message repackaged over and over. And in this case, the new packaging is that the law will supposedly give you life when in reality it will not. In verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good without question. But then in verse 13, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, it was not the cause. It was the tool that the Lord gave and used to show us that we were already dead, that we were never alive, that we were already in a condition of death, And it exaggerated that fact by stirring up more sin. He says, may it never be, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. Again, in the middle of verse 13, it says, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death. When he says affecting my death, he's saying that he was already dead and it was stirring up more death within him. It was affecting that. It was exaggerating. It was revealing. It was stirring up 
more sin because his condition was already dead. He was already spiritually dead. There was never, ever any life within him at all until he recognized that he was hopeless and helpless. He needed to be forgiven. He needed a new life, a new covenant. And that was when the Lord was able to begin to do a work in his heart. That was his message. And this would be necessary. This would be absolutely necessary to describe. He would have to address their doctrine. He would have to address their solution, which was no solution at all. He would have to show them that while they thought they had a solution to the death of humanity, they thought that they were being resurrected through their repentance and obedience. They were not. So after he explained the gospel... He gave them the alternative. He showed them, listen, there is another way that you can be resurrected. Oh, and by the way, it's the only way you can be resurrected because you thought you could be resurrected that way. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the evidence is overwhelming for me to show that it is proven, proven that that is no solution at all, that there is no life there. There is nothing but death. And so even though... The Pharisees believed it. It wasn't true. Jesus is the Messiah, and he brought the truth that salvation, the restoration of life, was through him and him alone. So what are the Pharisees going to have to do if they are going to embrace what the Apostle Paul has to say here? They are going to have to embrace and they are going to have to confess that they have sinned. But if they confess that they have sin, then they are going to have to confess, they are going to have to admit that they have no way to deal with the sin that's in their hearts. So this is why I believe he proceeds in verse 14 and begins to talk about the struggle that people have concerning sin. And this is an important struggle to acknowledge and to recognize for what it is, so we don't live in denial of reality. But regardless of the struggle that we are in, the resolution will always be the same, and that is his grace and mercy. And with that, we can live the life that he has set before us. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you